We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Cool. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and... Today we have the privilege of covering verses 1 through 11. You know, if you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you to Calvary Chapel Almani. It's such a neat work the Lord is doing here. Um, and one of the things that we, we do and we believe that God has called us to do is something Pastor Chuck taught us is just to teach you the Bible. You know, we don't want to give you our uh, experience. We don't want to give you our opinions. We really believe it's our responsibility to teach you the Word. And what we do here at Calvary Chapel is we go through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we find ourselves today in this letter to 1 John by John. And it's a cool letter. It's a very challenging letter. And we're going to see today it's actually a letter that I think God can use, really use to change us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I believe God wants to save you. That's why you're here. And even as Christians, uh, if you're here today and we're not surrendered and we're not, you know, like the things we see today, I believe God is going to really challenge us. Because look what we read in verse 1. John says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. We see, first of all, in one sense, we might call it the goal in life. You know, not, it doesn't save us, but once you're saved, this, is, this has got to be your goal in life. You know, when you, when you wake up in the morning and this is the, the bullseye that you want to shoot for, you know, John says, my little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. I like the way he calls them his little children, you know. It's a, it's a term of endearment from a caring elder. It's a phrase John uses six times in the five chapters here. My little children, my little children. It's almost like, if you know, for us Hispanics, mijo, mija. You know, it's just like that term of endearment. Nothing, you know, uh, we don't want to beat you up. We love you. My little children, John says, I write this to you so that you would not sin. And Jesus uses the same phrase in John 13, 33, my little children. Paul does the same thing, Galatians 4, verse 19, emphasizing the fact that God had used him to bring them to salvation. And it's just, you know, something motivated by a tender, loving care. And that should always be the motive of the minister. But here we have this God-given goal, and the God-given goal is pretty simple. He says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And that's our goal, you guys, to, to wake up in the morning, man, and to please God. You know, to wake up in the morning and, and not sin. You know, as Jesus told the man he healed in John chapter 5, verse 14, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you, you know. As Jesus told the Woman compassionately who was caught in adultery in John chapter 11, go and sin no more. See, that's got to be our goal. That's got to be our heart. 
You know, here in John chapter 1, verse 7, John chapter 1, verse 9, we saw that, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light, is he in the light? And then the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, cleanses us from all sin. And so a lot of times I think when we become a Christian, we figure, well, you know what? I'm covered in the blood, man. It ain't no big deal. But, you know, John says, listen, that's not the way we apply that truth. You know, we come to the Lord and he, and he saves us. And now our goal, in one sense, has got to be not to sin. And we see that throughout the scriptures. I like 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. The Bible says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Is that your heart? Is that the way you wake up in the morning? I mean, how do, how do we get out of bed? You know, I know we might wake up and, you know, we go get our cup of coffee. Maybe you turn on the TV. Maybe you grab the newspaper. Hopefully you read your Bible sometimes. You know, you, you got different things going on. But I think it would be so cool just to wake up in the morning and to get out of bed and to know the goal. The goal is, Lord, I want to please you. Lord, I don't want to sin. You see, it's got to be the goal of the godly, and therefore, here it is, it must be the message of the messengers. I remember one time they were doing an interview with that guy, Joel Osteen, and maybe you've seen him on television. He's got like 40,000 people that go to the church, he pastors, and, and they asked him about them. They said, why don't you ever talk about sin? And Joel Osteen said, that's not my calling. You know, and, and, you, and you hear that, and then you read, well, wait a minute, these things were written so that we may not sin. If that's the goal of the godly, then it must be the message of the messengers. Uh, apparently, Joel Osteen has not read Ezekiel 3.21, where God said to Ezekiel, he said, Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, then... He shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you have delivered your own soul. You see, that's how important it is, you guys, that that's the goal of the godly and the message of the messengers. We have to warn even the righteous not to sin. And if we don't, then our soul is in jeopardy. And so John writes and he says, hey, man, this is the goal. This is the goal in life. But then if we do sin, we have the grace in life. Because again, look what he says in verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so, you know, I like the simplicity of John. This is your goal goal in life, and if for whatever reason you don't hit that goal, because we're all going to sin on this side of time, you also need to know the grace in life. And you know, when this is the goal in us, then it leads towards the grace for us. Because even though that's our dominating desire, we're not going to reach that place of sinless perfection until we're home in heaven. I remember one time I was reading a cartoon strip I think it was a Tweety Bird, and I found out in the first service that Tweety Bird is a he, just in case you didn't know that, okay? 
So Tweety Bird was uh, writing a letter and just real happy that he hadn't sinned. Oh, thank you, God, I haven't sinned. I haven't eat chocolate and all this kind of stuff, you know, whatever the sins are. And, uh, and then, but then at the end of the letter, Tweety Bird says, but I'm about to get out of bed now. And, uh, <laughs> and there might be some challenges ahead, you know. And, you know, um, of course, that's our goal. Lord, I don't want to sin. That's the goal of the godly. But unfortunately, we're, we're probably not going to make it. We're not going to hit the bullseye every single time. And so what about when Christians do sin? What about that whole thing? And that's where he says right here, listen, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, the Greek word is that word parakletos. It's also translated helper. It's also translated comforter. And I love that because, you know what, we're in, we're in sins. You know, we're in our own unrighteousness. We need help, huh? You know, here we are, we're in sins, and we feel the condemnation and the guilt of our sins. We need comfort. We need the comfort to know that our sins are forgiven. This is where the parakletos comes in. Now, this word right here in the Greek literature and culture, it was often used to describe, you know, what we might describe today as a lawyer. And, and in one sense, that's kind of what he's saying, is that we have a lawyer, not just a public defender. We have a lawyer, and we have an awesome, sovereign Lord as our lawyer. And let me ask you something, man. If you have Jesus Christ as your lawyer, you think you're going to lose? No way. You know, this morning I woke up, I was shaving my head, and um, I grabbed some, it's, you save a lot of money that way. And you grab the newspaper, and I put it down, some old newspaper, and I was showing my wife how they have these advertisements for all these lawyers, all these lawyers, right? And one of the lawyers, I guess he's a DUI lawyer, and in his advertisement he says, friends don't let friends plead guilty. You know how these lawyers are, right? And I was just thinking how uh, with the Lord it's the exact opposite, man. Only if you plead guilty will he take your case. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've blown it. Lord, I've fallen short. Lord, will you take my case? And Jesus says, absolutely. I will be your advocate. You know, over the years, I'm sure you've seen, especially if you've seen a few trials, what a difference a lawyer makes, huh? I mean, if you just get stuck with some public defender that doesn't care for you, or, you know, but you pay a little money, you get a good lawyer, it makes all the difference in the world. And for us, we know we have the Lord as our lawyer. He is our advocate. He is our paraclete. He is the one called to us. He is the one called to our side to bail us out and to set us free. And we need to see this is who we have in Christ. Uh, he's our mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5 says. He's our intercessor. The Bible says in Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25. And as a matter of fact, I think a really good visual of this can be found in the book of Zechariah. If you turn there with me. Zechariah is the last book of the Bible. No, I'm just joking. You're like, where's Zechariah? Page 1,370. No, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? 
Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing between the angel, before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And here we have kind of like a visual, you guys, of what's you know taken place in the life of the believer. There you see the guilty one. In this case, it was the high priest of Israel. At that time, his name was Joshua. And he was standing before a holy, holy, holy God, but he was clothed in his own righteousness. And his own righteousness, according to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, is filthiness, filthy rags. Literally a woman's menstrual garment. There he was clothed in a woman's menstrual garment before God. And so there's the devil, and the devil says there is no way that he should be a righteous man. He can go to heaven. He's opposing him. He's an adversary. He's an accuser of the brethren, right? And so you have the whole scene in the court, and you're like, man, this guy's guilty. But then what happens? The advocate comes forth, Jesus, our attorney, our lawyer. And he says, wait a minute, Father, he's one of ours. He has believed in us. He has believed in me. And he says, is he not chosen, right? And he, is he not a brand plucked from the fire? And that's who we were. You know, Jude says, man, save them. They're, they're about to burn. Pull them out of the fire. You know, we then are clothed, it says, in rich robes. And we know when we read throughout the Bible, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You read the book of Revelation, it says they're clothed in linen, white robes, clean, covered with the righteousness of Christ. You see, and that's what we find from Genesis to Revelation, even in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. It was a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so if for us, it's so good to know this, man, that we have this goal in life. Don't sin. Please God. That's got to be your heart. But then we got to understand the grace in life that if we do, you know, the Lord is there to catch us when we fall and to forgive us and to help us and to comfort us with that truth. And so as Christians, you're here today and you're saying, cool, you know, Facebook like, you know, thumbs up, man, this is great, right? But before you move too fast, here is a heavy challenge. Are you sure you're a Christian? If you're a Christian, you're a blood-bought, bonafide believer, you're clean, you're cool. But are you sure you're a Christian? Many people who have gone to church every single Sunday, many pastors, evangelists, people who did miracles, many people who were so thoroughly convinced because they did not check the real requirements of the scriptures, many people will stand before God one day and they will find themselves not a Christian because they didn't really understand what the Bible teaches. You know, for us, for me, as a, as a servant, as your brother, as a pastor, that's my primary responsibility. I pray that every single person here would go to heaven. And we got to make sure that we're really Christians. And that's why in studying the text right here, it's cool to go from the goal in life and the grace in life to the test of life. 
Because look what he says in verse 3. He says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You know, as we read this right here, we find the test of life. It's interesting to me. It's actually a blessing to me to read and realize that salvation means relation. It's a personal relationship with God. Again, in verse 3, by this we know that we know him. You know, these concepts right here are synonymous. They're interchangeable. To be saved is to know the Lord, and to know the Lord is to be saved. You know, like they say in the, in the real world, you guys have probably heard this before, it's not, you know, who you are, it's who you know. Well, the same is true in Christianity. It's not who you are, it's who you know. Do you know the Lord? If you do, you're saved. The Greek word here is the word gnosko, where we get our Spanish word, right? Gnosko, right? And in the Greek, it means to know through personal experience, man, to really know. I can know, you know, Abraham Lincoln existed, but to know him personally is a different story, right? There's a lot of people who know God exists, but they don't really know God. This is salvation. Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Same Greek word. And so you see, salvation is knowing the Lord, but here it is. How do you know you know the Lord? How do you know you know the Lord? Well, we read a few things, and when we go through 1 John, man, a lot of us here, we're going to find that ourselves, even, you know, maybe you've been a Christian, or maybe you haven't, or maybe you're going to church, or whatever it is. Maybe you're in ministry. Who cares? It doesn't matter. The question is, are you really a Christian? You're going to really have to check your life. Because he says right here, by this we know we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. You're like, John's not nice. <laughs> liar. Liar, and the truth is not in him, right? I mean, we read those three words back in verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 10 of chapter 1. If we say, if we say, if we say. Verse 4 of chapter 2, he who says, it doesn't matter what you say. I come up to you and I ask you if you're a Christian. You say, yes, I'm a Christian. That doesn't prove you're a Christian. You go to church, doesn't prove you're a Christian. You went forward, doesn't prove you're a Christian. You serve in the highest capacity of ministry, does not prove you're a Christian. Why well, don't do sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Doesn't prove you're a Christian. Is there any sin, any sin in your life that you're holding on to? Because that can take you to hell. And that's the reality of what we find in the scriptures. You know, James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What is the profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? No. You know, we read in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, they profess to know God. They've got the bumper stickers, the T-shirts, and everything else. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good 
work. You see, if we say we're a Christian, it doesn't make us a Christian. It doesn't prove we're a Christian. If we want to know whether or not we really know the Lord, we must examine our behavior and ask ourselves, am I consistently keeping His commandments? And as we go through 1 John, we're going to see the core of His commandments, love. And we're going to see a heavy study today. If you go over to Matthew 7, we're probably going to go here a lot as we study 1 John. In Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> Jesus said in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So what should we do with false prophets? Beware of them. Beware of them. You know, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are, what, what are they really? They're really ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree, now he's talking about everybody, not just false prophets. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And every tree that's, that, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown, where? Into the fire. That's hell. That's the lake of fire, right? And so he says right there, therefore by their fruits you will know them. Do they have Christian fruits? And we know there's moral fruits and there's ministry fruits. Do they have that? That's how you're going to know them. And, you know, it's in the tree, man. It's in the DNA of the tree. It's in the root that then produces the fruit. Either they're real or they're not, right? And so the Lord says, well, one day when people stand before me, they're going to say this in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, I don't do crystal meth anymore. I don't drink anymore. Cool, I'm proud of you. Good job. Is there any other sin in your life that you have not repented of? Right here we read, if there's unrepentant sin in our life, insistent, resistant, persistent sin, then there's no assurance of salvation according to the scriptures. They're actually liars headed for the fires of hell, and the truth is not in them. Because if you know the Lord, then you're going to keep his commandments, not just the 10, but probably the 812 of the New Testament. Not perfectly, but properly. They have a book, it's called The Respectable Sins, and some people love to do the respectable sins. It's still sin. And it will still take you to hell. The Lord knows, and we have to search our hearts. We have to keep his commandments, right? Psalm 119, verse 32 says, I will run the course of your commandments. I like that. For you shall enlarge my heart. It's the Lord who does the works. When you know the Lord, it's going to happen. And that's why you can tell, well, what kind of a fruit am I bearing? That's how it reveals who you are. Revelation 22, 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. 
You know, I remember there was a time, you guys, and I've probably shared this with you before, but I used to go to church every week. But then right afterwards, I would go right into my sin. I would go right into my sin. I would go straight to my sin, loving my sin, revealing what? The simple fact that I may have headed to church on Sundays, but I wasn't headed for heaven. See, it's your life. It's not what you say, he who says, if we say. It's not what you say. It's how you live. Because when you know God, you love God. And when you love God, you keep his word. We read here in verse 5, whoever keeps his word, here's how it happens. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said in John 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Psalm 119, verse 2 says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. And then Psalm 119, verse 4 says, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. And we're going to see the way that it works is when the, the love of God is really perfected in us, then we're going to come to a place of uh, a pattern of, of consistent obedience in every area of our life. You know, I think what happens, and you guys, and we're going to see this kind of in a couple of ways, but, you know, you might be here today and you're thinking, well, you know what, I don't really love or do the way they do. That's for like the super saint or for like the one who is like a, a really strong Christian. And, and the Lord is saying, no, that's not the way it is. It's not just the super saint or the really strong Christian. It's the real Christian. The real Christian loves like that and lives like that. And if you're not loving like that and living like that, then you might not be a Christian. And again, it's not John trying to beat people up. Again, my little children. I'm saying this because you've got to recheck your life. It's a blessing to keep his commandments. As a matter of fact, there's one story over in Luke chapter 11. If you will, let's turn there. Luke 11 and verse 27, it says, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. In other words, the lady was saying, Man, whoever your mom is, man, that's, she's blessed, right? How many of you ladies here would have liked to have been the biological mom of Jesus? I mean, you'd be like, cool, that would be a blessing, right? I mean, that would be so cool because you're thinking about your kids right now, how rebellious they are. And you're like, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, but I can't think of, I mean, I really, to have Jesus as my son, I mean, I almost can't think of a, a bigger blessing that would be. But the Lord, he responds in verse 28. He said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep. That's better blessing. Why? Because that shows that they're on their way to heaven. You know, at this time, it's questionable whether or not Mary was following the Lord. <laughs> it's more important than any other blessing you could ever imagine in life. And this is why we really have to examine our life. Back in 1 John chapter 5, we see that when the love of God is perfected, 
then this is a type of life that we live. This is one of John's uh, emphasis in the book. As a matter of fact, if you go over to chapter 4 of 1 John, same Greek word is used in verse 12, 1 John 4, 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Same Greek word used in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us, and that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Man, you, you're there, and you're like, I know I know the Lord. How do you know you know the Lord? Because I don't drink, and I don't do drugs. No. How do you really know that you know the Lord? It's because I love like the Lord. That's what gives us boldness in the day of judgment. Same Greek word is used in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. There's the same Greek word. It's this mature love that casts out all fear. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to stand before God because this love, this love has captured my heart. You see, and as we go through our study today, we're going to see that this is the litmus test for us as Christians. You see, we have this goal in life, and that is not to sin. We have this grace in life, that says, well, if we sin, thank God for Jesus, we have this test of life, which is whether or not we keep his commandments. But then even deeper than that, we have the sign of life. You know, yesterday my wife was uh, trying to find out how fast my heart was beating, and so she was trying to find my pulse, and she couldn't find it. I think I was dead for a while there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, usually if you want to find out if someone's alive, they'll they'll check their pulse, right? This is what we have next. The sign of life. This is the pulse. Whether or not you really know God, I don't care if you've been to church a billion times, whether or not you really know God. Notice it says right here again, and we'll read verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. But he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, if the readers were familiar with the Gospel of John, and I'm sure they were, on John chapter 13, verse 34, you guys remember what Jesus said? He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And so, you know, to love someone wasn't new, but to love someone like Jesus loved was new. And so that was the new commandment that Jesus gave. But now it's like 60 years later, and it's no longer a new commandment. It's kind of an old commandment, you know? And so, I mean, it's new, but it's also old. That's kind of what John is saying right there. It's new, it's old, you know, it's kind of in between. Kind of like this Bible right here. You guys have the New King James, right? If you're safe, right? You have the New King James. Is it new? Well, kind of. 
It was new when it came out, but, you know, it's new compared to the old, but it's actually been around for, what, 30 years, 25 years, and so it's kind of like that. A new commandment, yeah, but the old commandment, here it is. You have to walk as he walked. If you say you abide in him, then you got to walk just as he walked, and you're like, yeah, cool, I don't do drugs anymore. I don't sex outside of marriage. Everything's cool. No, we're not talking just about that. We're talking about life, and we're especially talking about love. That's the pulse. And one day, many people who thought they were Christians because they were so religious and they knew the terminology, and they believed intellectually in the theology, many people will stand before God and they will not enter Heaven, because they did not love like Jesus loves. That's what John says. And that's where we have to check our hearts. You know, the other day we went to a a ministry meeting, uh, some guys from Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. We went together with Robert. And uh, there's this ministry, it's called Elam Ministry. And you'll never guess who they reach out to. Iranians. And you're like, ooh, not Iranians. Well, I guess the way that it works is uh, Iran is adjacent to Turkey. The border's open. So the Iranians come across and they travel into Turkey. And, and so when they, and they hear them speaking the Farsi language, these guys in Turkey know, okay, there are Iranians here on vacation. And they begin to share the gospel with them. And so I guess over the, the, the last, I don't know how long it's been, 20 years, just many Iranians have given their life to Christ. And as a result of that, you know, the Lord is doing a great work in Iran. It's kind of interesting. And this is kind of how it works. When the government became oppressive, Christianity exploded in Iran. It's a crazy thing, but it seems to happen everywhere you go. Same thing in China. Of course, we don't like that, but, you know, we are citizens of the kingdom first, right? And so, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of people, they hate Arabs, they hate Muslims, they hate Iranians, they hate Iran as a general rule. A lot of Christians. And so I was like, man, I don't, you know, should we get involved in this? I don't know how all this works. But then these Iranian people, they go in, they get arrested because it's illegal for them to convert from Islam into Christianity, right? And so they go and they get arrested, and what ends up happening? They get beat up. They get cursed. They, you know, it's just persecution big time. But you know what the stories are coming out of Iran? The stories are this, that when their guards are beating them and cursing them, the Iranian Christian says, you can beat me, but I will love you. God is really saving these people. Doesn't mean we agree with their government. Doesn't mean we don't love Israel. We love Israel. We support Israel. But it doesn't mean we hate anybody else, if you're a true Christian. You know, I remember uh, just talking to a, a gal a while back, and she told me about somebody she hated. And I said, well, the Bible says that if you hate, you can't go to heaven. just want you to know that. If there's anybody, anybody, anybody you hate, you can't go to heaven. I want you to know that. And she said, well, I don't care if I'm going to hell. 
Some people have a hatred that's so deep and they need to know that that'll keep you out of, out of heaven. Here's another thing. There, so most of us here would be like, well, um, I don't love them, but I don't hate them. Right? A lot of you are like that. Well, let me tell you something. Right here, right now, it's either or. If you don't love them like Jesus loves them, then you hate them. And that's why when we read this right here, we're like, whoa, this is crazy. You see, when the Lord came in, Jesus came in, he changed the world through love. Right? And that's why we read right here. Look what it says in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Notice it says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, and you're like, what does that mean? The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Well, when Christianity first started, and you guys, this is where we got to go back to the real church, man, the real deal church. The real deal church was a church of love, and it was almost like this darkness was, was being absorbed, and the sun was shining, and you can visualize that. You know, and there was a period of time when Christian love was pure and real and strong and overpowered hatred, where Christian love was just amazing. It was like this, you know, this darkness was being overpowered by the light. But now the truth is, I see it in the church, that that love is no longer there, not that type of love. And now we're almost like on the other side where I feel like the sun is setting. Because we don't have this love. And so John is saying, man, there is this time where, man, the darkness is passing away and the light was shining. Because he who says he is in the light and hates his brothers in darkness until now, and he who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But here it is in verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And it's one thing to be in darkness. Okay? So if I was to turn off all the lights, Becky, can you turn off all the lights? No, I'm just joking. I won't do that to you guys. If you're all in the darkness, right? Let's just say we just went pitch black. We could just kick it. We're like, cool, I'm safe. Some of you are like, I got my hubby next to me. I'm all right, man. Nobody's going to get me, right? But what happens when, we, when we're in darkness and we're not just in the darkness, now we're walking in the darkness. Now what happens? You're going to hurt yourself. You don't have a clue where you're going. You're going to hell. Unless you love everybody. Everybody. And that's a challenge for us as Christians. You know, I think for us, when we read the scripture right here, I love the way, you know, and there's different ways that people present things. You know, that's one of the things I love about Chuck Smith is he's just really simple, just black and white. You don't have to read between the lines. I think that's the way John is as well. You know, if you're here today and there's anyone you hate, anyone and you know it's interesting because you read first john and the context is that there was issues in the church and so he wrote about loving your fellow christian 
But whatever you do, don't think, well, that's where it ends. Because Jesus said what? Love your enemies. If you just love those who love you, it ain't nothing but chicken wing, right? But he said, once you start loving your enemies, now you're like me. And if we know him, we should be like him. If we have his DNA and that's our root, then that'll be our fruit. And if it's not your fruit, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do in ministry. I don't care how long you've been involved or what you felt. One day when you stand before God, you will have a rude awakening. Why? Because it's love that's the pulse of whether or not we live. And so what happens to us? Well, if you're here today and you don't have that fruit, then my encouragement to you is to absolutely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Say, okay, Lord, I need you, man, because this type of love is not something I can manufacture on my own. You need to give your life to Christ completely. But even for those of us who do let know the Lord, like I think I know the Lord, you know, <laughs> but I'm telling you this, that I've got a long way to go. Lord, this is, this is where you're driving me. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the goal, Lord. I don't want to sin. Thank you for the grace if I do. Thank you for the test that I can always examine my life to see whether or not I really know you. And thank you for the sign of life, Lord. It's got to be love. So let's make sure we have that love, seeking their highest good, expecting nothing in return. I remember one time I went to a funeral and uh, you know how it is in a lot of funerals, you know, especially I remember I, I went to a Catholic funeral and the priest, you know, I was there, my, my cousin had died. Um, and I knew my cousin didn't know the Lord. I mean, this guy was, and we're talking gangs, Mexican mafia, killing people. We're talking just the guy was the farthest thing away from what a Christian was. But I remember the priest, man, he was just saying, you know, he's in heaven. One day we're all going to see him again. Uh, and I was just thinking, no, with all due respect, you know, you're lying. <laughs> you know, you're lying to my family. And it's not, it's not good for them. You know, and some people, they want to hear that message. Well, you know, just tell me that I'm good. Just tell me that I'm going to heaven and everything's cool. And I can just kind of cruise along in the way that I've been living and everything's fine and dandy. But that's not what we want. We don't want God to tickle our ears. We want God to, to challenge us and to change us. We want God to search our hearts. And I'm just telling you this, and I just, I just pray you guys would know this. Don't stop. There's no assurance until you have this love. Please understand that. Father, we thank you for allowing us to understand what it really means to be like you, what it really means to be a Christian. I pray, Lord, that you would... Give us that love. Lord, you would speak to our hearts. And Father, you would help us. Only by your Holy Spirit can anything really effective and fruitful take place. But I do thank you for the clarity of your word. I pray it would never be watered down in our hearts. And so, Father, as we partake of communion today, I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, that they would know that they're on their way to hell. But your word says, and we read it today, that you're the propitiation. 
and not for us only, for the whole world. You died for them. And so help them. Help them today to humble themselves, to repent of their sins and to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, not a religion. Sacraments, religion will take no one to heaven. A relationship. Please, Father, do that work today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.